I've made charts. I've tried building a plot the same way you have. I've tried to figure it out, but... I just have this hunch that something is missing. A tiny piece of the jigsaw. Somebody who should be dead is alive, or... Somebody who should be alive is already dead. Explain that. You know, there's a sentence in a Conan Doyle book. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. fans to another spectacular or I should say spooktacular episode of Not a Bomb. I am your host Troy and with me as always is Mr. Brad Anderson. Brad, week two of the Scary Movie Fest. How's it going so far? It's Dario Argento week, Charlie. So uh, <laughs> we're doing fantastic. This this is my favorite. Um, if if anybody wants to go back and probably uh, get another dose of Dario Argento, many many years ago we did movie matchup. We uh, did a Dario Argento film, Inferno, and we talked about it in conjunction with Hauzu, and that that is one of my most favorite episodes of all time. And I got to say, Brad, we should just label this one. You know, we're probably gonna have a subgroup of episodes where it's you know Troy made Brad watch something. And he probably wasn't happy about it. Subgenre of podcast yes. episode. So, um, yeah, this week we're going to talk about 1982's Tenebrae, which is a Dario Gento film. Um, Not 1984's Unsane. Uh, we'll talk about that one too, because I watched that version. Um, but we thought uh, let's have some fun and bring back one of our favorite guests, uh, Mr. John Nance is back. John, how are you? All right. How's it going? Uh, it's great, man. It's a spooky month. I mean, this I is like the best month ever. We get to talk spooky <laughs> exactly. films. Exactly. Yes. What's your uh, go-to horror movie, John? Go-to horror movie? Uh, Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Ooh. Well, yep. That has that has an Argento story behind it, too. Yeah. Actually, it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Producer, right? Um, when they released it as Zombie over there? Yeah. They um, were having trouble getting... Uh, uh, financing for the international distribution so argento came in helped him out and rest is history that's awesome what about well, zombie 2 where the guy punches the shark <laughs> that is fantastic um, that's the best scene in cinema like that's that that has the like eyeball trauma too uh yes. with the door splinter or something mm. Yeah, well, um, Brad, you, you're talking about a lot of uh, international films. Um, that is sort of this week's flavor. I mean, one of the things that we promised with Spooktober is we would kind of be all over the place. So we kicked the month off last week with Chopping Mall, which is probably your, I, I don't know, that's your cheesy, fun, scary movie. Um, yes, yes. Um, this, this week has an international flair. So I, th I think you wanted to ask a question for everybody this week, right? 
I did. I want to know what everyone's favorite foreign horror film is. Ooh, that's a good one. And Troy, I will start with our guest. Yes. John. Favorite foreign horror film is um, actually very recent, and I'm sort of biased. It's from the Korean cinema, uh, Train to Busan. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> with Don Lee, one of my favorite yeah. actors right now. Don Lee, great story, great visuals, um, really... Uh, flared up my allergies i wasn't crying but yeah it was my allergies um but yeah it was, it was a great zombie flick and i'm looking forward to its uh sequel peninsula did um now are you is like the zombie genre like one of your favorites or is it actually you dawn of the dead so yeah dawn of, dawn of the dead is special because um it was the it was the first movie that made me not sleep i was scared to go to sleep oh wow and yeah and um the night that my dad showed it to me um went to bed and all that stuff i couldn't sleep and i went into my parents room um to wake my parents up and like tell them i can't sleep and i guess my dad was dreaming about zombies because i tapped him on the shoulder and he broke out the uh you know karate moves in the bed that scared him <laughs> half to death but yeah yeah dawn of the dead uh creep show um the howling evil dead all revolves around that yeah that's awesome yeah i'm excited about peninsula as well i i, I thought the interesting thing about train to basan i thought i was tired of, of zombie films like i thought they kind of run its course then that thing comes out yeah. and, and like you said man it it has such an emotional punch yeah. Um, and it's and it's one of the few like scary movies you can recommend. And I think everybody's going to like it because there's, there's just something in there for everybody. Yeah. I mean, my wife, she's not a fan of horror, um, but she watched Train to Busan. Um, and she loved it. She thought it was she thought it was great. I would highly recommend it, too. So that's like yeah. three thumbs up from all of us. So Sweet. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious, Brad, uh, what yours is, because I, I know you have um, a pretty eclectic uh, taste across the board. I know this is your question, but did you have something to come to mind right yeah. when you thought of this? So mine is the uh, 2000, 2008 Swedish film, uh, Let the Right One In. Um, oh, man. Good choice. I, I love that movie so much. I think it's a beautiful movie. Um, minus like this weird cat scene. I think it's pretty perfect. Um, I don't know if you all remember it, but there's like this woman who gets attacked by like a hundred cats. Um, oh, it yeah. Really, yeah. It really doesn't hold up very well. Um <laughs> I went back recently and watched it. Um, and I will say the 2010 remake, um, let me in is actually maybe better than the foreign version because it doesn't have that cat scene. And I think it's, I don't know. I, it's a toss up for me, but I, I like both of them quite a bit. Um, Matt Reeves directed that, uh, the let me in. So, um, but 2008, let the right one in vampire movie. Um, it's not, it's kind of your atypical vampire movie. Um, your main vampire is a 12 year old boy. Um, or no, sorry, 12 year old girl. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess we've all seen that, right? It's, oh yeah. Saw yeah, both. That's, that's a solid pick, man. It's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Good. So mine, um, is of, I, I guess the same monster and it's, it's actually, I, I would have picked a few, before um really discovering this mr vampire 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but what's funny is it's one that you and I had talked about um, when we had the podcast show movie matchup many years ago. And I had seen it before. But then when we sat down to do it for that episode, I, I went back and found what was the official print. And that thing blew me away. Um, and being, you know, in the, the Baltimore area, actually had a chance, I think it was two years ago, the AFI does um, sort of a spooky fest. And they, they, you know, pre-COVID days, they would do, for the month of October, just these amazing um, setups. So we got to watch, like, uh, Frankenstein, but um, they had a live orchestra playing the soundtrack for Frankenstein in the AFI. And that same day, we stayed, and I got to see um, this print uh, on the big screen with another, like, um, smaller orchestra uh, doing the music for it. I think it was one guy, but, you know, he was doing all the different... uh, instruments organ and stuff like that but it was 1922's Nosferatu directed by F.W. Murnau and starring Max Schreck uh if if you have not sat down to watch that film and you want to look for the print that actually has um the the saturated colors that are throughout it because it is a silent film um but it's not the proper version just isn't plain black and white they kind of filter in some colors throughout the whole thing that thing is gorgeous to look at. It's German expressionism. It is creepy as hell. Max Schreck as as Nosferatu will give you nightmares. Um, and um, I, that that's like my favorite. I, I I mean, most films, especially film noir, borrow from German expressionism. And uh, that film just it it gave me nightmares. You know, as an adult, just kind of rediscovering it. Uh, and that was that was that was fun talking about it with you, Brad and. Um, I, I, was it Reverend Scott that we had on for that week as we were doing Nosferatu and, um, and Shadow of a Vampire? Yeah, which is a great film, kind yes. of about, about the making yeah. <laughs> Nosferatu. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's my favorite. I, I'm actually glad you brought that up because that I remember seeing Nosferatu in college for a film class that I had, and not really liking it um, then. Because, you know, sometimes when you read stuff for class or you have to watch something for class, um, when it's not your choice, you kind of go into it being a little stubborn about it. At least I did. And when we went back and revisited it that, what, 10, 11 years ago? Yeah. um, You know, it really kind of made me appreciate what that film is. And, like, probably one of the most, probably top five most important films of all time. Oh, I'd agree. I mean, it... It's visually uh, so, stunning. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, no, I yeah, great picks all around. Yeah. Um, John, I mean, fan of Nosferatu. It, I, yeah. Did, have you seen it in the big screen or have you only seen, like, just the home Small media screen. Version? Okay. Small screen. I mean, it's kind of like what Brad um, expressed. Uh, first time seeing it, I was about 13, 14. Uh, didn't like it, you know, because it was, wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah, you don't say. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> When you visual, you know, when you visit it back when you start really enjoying horror, you you realize, man, this was this was a pretty cool flick. Yeah, um, it's one of the few films. Like, if if you want the perfect, I, I, like the perfect scary movie to watch when it's there's rain and thunderstorm out, it's at night, and you've got that ambiance and everything else. You turn out all the lights and you put that sucker in. Um, again, it's a silent film. Uh, but just it is so visually arresting, uh, yeah. and I, I just I can't recommend it enough. 
Um, hey, look, before we get into, you know, speaking of scary things, um, before we get into Tenebrae, we, Brad, we got some listener feedback. We might have got the greatest uh, piece of fan. I don't want to say, uh, I don't know. How would you categorize it? Um, well, my daughter. So, Frank? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when we uh, when when they got the mail one evening. Um, and I was in the office and, uh, they're, they're handing over obviously bills and stuff like that. And my daughter, Angel, who's been on the show and, and it's important for everybody to remember this, uh, <laughs> she was on the, the show where we talked about David Fincher's Zodiac. Um, she was handing over the mail and she goes, Oh, Hey, I, I think you got some murder letter. And, uh, it, it's this, and I, I posted it for anybody who's following us on Facebook or Twitter. I did post a uh, copy or a picture of the letter um, as well as the envelope. So the envelope is this beige envelope. It is um, there. I don't know where it's from. It has a question mark with a slash. It's made out to Troy Sauer, uh, my address. Um, and I was trying to figure out where it came from, but it came from Santa Ana, California was where the postmark was. Um, had no idea what this was when it handed over. Didn't know it was listener feedback or anything. Just thought it was a letter. So I, I opened it up, and lo and behold, um, there are Zodiac symbols um, all throughout it. it. It looks like somebody wrote out an entire paragraph in Zodiac symbols. Uh, and that was a little freaky, man. Um, and the first thing I asked you, Brad, was, hey, dude, did, did you get one of these letters? I'm not uh, that creative. Yeah. Sorry. So... Um, what was it? So I showed Angel and my wife, and of course, uh, Angel was very, very freaked out. Um, and I remember when she and I were doing a bunch of, um, I don't know, research going through that episode, we did run across a website that was, it was like a Zodiac Cypher thing. And then even within the letter in very small print, um, like you, you really have to search and find it. Um, but there was a Zodiac Cypher reference. So that night, um, Tabitha and I and Angel sat down and for two hours <laughs> went through and um, thought we could decrypt this thing. We, we didn't know what it was. I mean, it, it looks like something that the Zodiac Killer would send you, right? So obviously we were a little freaked out. Um, but we did go through and find out that there was a message. And after two hours, we went through this entire paragraph, de I guess decrypted every symbol. And Brad, we... We actually got listener feedback. We did. Um, so is it okay for me to read this? Of course. Yes. Okay. So um, now I'm going to apologize. Uh, we did our best. So some of these words, I'm guessing what they are um, because I can make out the sentence. Um, but uh, I, I'm here, here's what it is. Uh, just wanted to say that I love the episode, but a couple of things as you addressed it but you are indeed a terrible parent. Angels shouldn't be a psychiatrist. I've learned from movies that like of all psychologists are either killers or victims on top of the fact that the fair straight up boring, she deserves better than that. If she finds sociopaths and psychopaths, so endearing work, go to wall street. It pays better and she can retire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fair enough. I think that's far enough into the episode to where Brad has pissed me off, but I feel comfortable in predicting this occurrence. 
will save my bile for a later correspondence after he's insulted my memory, casually dismissed one of the central media performers' films of my psyche. I'm not exactly sure what that's supposed to mean, but Brad, I don't think they liked uh, something you were saying in the next episode um, this person was listening to. Uh, now this is what gives it away. Um, Lisa says, hi, and I love and miss you guys already. So, um, the, the greatest feedback letter to ever be created for anything comes from none other than our good friend, Randy. Uh, that was Randy, fantastic. I, I love, I love you, even though you have a, uh, deep hatred for every opinion I've ever had. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got a hold of Randy and, um, was like, Hey, what uh, you get you're brilliant i just said he's brilliant i mean if if any if anybody's going to send feedback about an episode why not just adopt the zodiac you know cryptology and send it that way most people just you know i'm gonna send an email not this guy um so when i when i texted him to thank him and uh tell him that uh you know hey that was brilliant we had fun with it even though it scared the bejesus out of us in the beginning um, and I maybe crapped my pants a little bit when I saw this cause you know, in the internet's a scary place, right? Uh, his response was, um, Jesus Christ, you translated it. You're frightening. You know that I figured you just look at it and go, huh? That's weird. I didn't expect you to go encyclopedia Brown on me. So, I mean, typical Randy Randy knows you quite well, I, I figured you would have done that, but yeah, no, it was, it was fun. I mean, well, in hindsight, it was fun after I knew it was from Randy leading up to that point. <laughs> it was not fun. It was scary, but, uh, Hey. But, hey, on to something that is fun and scary, at least for me. I don't know how you guys feel about it. but I also, I also like the uh, someone else sent you a text message and said, when you told me uh, what episode we were doing, they could honestly like hear the disdain oh, yes. through <laughs> everything. So. Um, yeah, that was from our good friend, uh, Kevin, who listens to the show. He had sent something, um, a, a little bit of feedback, and said that, the uh, tension was palatable um, when I was describing my pick, and uh, he heard the heavy sigh and the a- actual disdain in, in Brad's head la- or Brad's um, expression last week when he found out that we were talking about 1982's Tenebrae. Um Brad, it's no secret you're not an Argento fan, right? No, for as much as I've, I mean, and I've seen quite a bit of Argento. I was going through his filmography. I don't know if we'll do that in a little bit. Yeah, but absolutely. I've, I've seen quite a bit. Um, you know, like when you try to eat something and you just like, this is not for me. Like, I don't like it. I don't Even know. though you know it's good for your body, like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I've just never, I don't know. It's just not for me. Just not for me. So, okay. No, 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 and no, I'm going to admit that. So. Okay. Well, um, before we get into this, because Tenebrae is a, um, a giallo. So, John, a little bit of background. I mean, giallo is, is its own genre of of film right not exactly horror i mean it had it falls into horror elements but it it has a very specific history right yeah i mean uh, giallo translated italian yellow color yellow and what that historically meant was uh, the genre of giallo were rooted in these trade paperbacks um for those who watch the Re- or listen to the Remo williams broadcast the destroyer series all those pulp fiction books that's what giallo was um it came about because um 
El Duce Mussolini had banned the import of anything Western that could uh, delegitimize his fascist rule. So the Italian writers and stuff started, you know, pumping out their own stuff. And it covers everything from horror to crime drama to thrillers. So as it started in novella, uh, it, it translated itself naturally into cinema. That's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah, and and um, you could always tell it, I, all the all the books for Giallo's they they were in yellow covers, yep. um, and even some of the films that were coming out at the time were borrowing the stories from Giallo's, and some of the posters would adopt like the yellow border, et cetera. So yes, it it is one of those um, genres that it, it's very well known, and the minute that um, you know a Giallo was announced, you knew exactly what you're getting into, right? Is yep. the paperbacks, are they like sexualized? Because I know back in the 20s and 30s, um, you know, pub like publishing sexual content was probably a no-no. Is that kind of translate into that those paperbacks as well? Do we yeah, know? some yeah, some of the covers were risque. Okay, I guess you could say for the time. Uh, for the time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now Tenebrae has Tenebrae has a very interesting history. Uh, and the reason why I picked it um, is because specifically it did bomb in the U.S., but when it was released in the U.S., it was um, it it had a, a very troubled time to get over here. So, Brad, I mean, in talking about the background, you, you want to kind of go over when Tenebrae was le- released, how it did internationally, and then and then what its history was when it actually made stateside? Yeah, so um, originally comes out October of 1982 um, internationally. Um, I guess in Italy, um, but over in the United States, it doesn't come out until April of 1984 under the name Unsane. Um, and it's actually like a way cut down version. Um, I think that they cut out all the nudity. Um, there, a, it's like yeah, 10 minutes, right? It's more, it's yeah, about 10 minutes. It's a little bit more. There, there's nudity in it, but a lot of the, a lot of the graphic parts are all gone. Um, and some, so a lot of key scenes are shortened that we'll, we'll talk about that actually yeah. are this movie's known for. Okay. And, and typically we talk about budgets and, um, we talk about how it did at the box office. This one is a little bit weird. Those aren't really known for this one. Um, though Argento, um, did say, you know, it was a moderate success, um, internationally, but obviously, uh, when they brought over that version here in the United States of Unsane, it uh, a was panned. No one liked it, and it did not no. do great. Um, no. <clears throat> so when it comes out in April of 1984, it has some pretty stiff competition. Actually, no, <laughs> actually, it doesn't. Um, the Neverending Story, um, Up the Creek, Ooh. Uh, Suburbia. Oh. Which I, I'm not so familiar with Suburbia. And then Mr. One, Jason Voorhees with Friday the 13th, the final chapter, which is funny because <laughs> 1984, they call that the final chapter and man, ain't nah, close to the going. final chapter. Yeah. Still going. So, yep. Uh, yeah. So, and what are they doing? Okay. Well, I guess maybe April 13th of 1984 is probably a Friday, I'm guessing. So Friday 13th comes out on Friday 13th, but I was like, why are they not releasing that movie in October, but maybe it's because it's, that's the Friday the 13th. Anyway, um, Unsane, again, panned when it came over here. Um, 
I don't even have really any sort of um, reviews on that. People just have gone back now and have reviewed um, Tenebrae uh, as it was internationally. And actually, with the critics, it sits at like 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, that's only 20 critics. Um, yeah. I find that that's uh, pretty high. Um, audience score, um, there's over 9,000 reviews, and it sits at 78%. So, um, not bad, not bad. So, uh, it, again, it's Argento, um, you know, and, and one of the things with some of his films is they don't really gross a ton of money. Um, what's his highest grossing film? Does anyone know off the top of their head? Has it got to be? I had, to, I assumed it was Suspiria because Suspiria, Suspiria was the one Suspiria. that got him noticed by 20th Century Fox. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that's a good segue into Argento. So, Brad, you've seen a lot. I mean, I know he's not a top of list director for you. Um, and John, I, I think you and I have talked in the past. You you have kind of gone through most of Argento's work. He's a very interesting um, filmography. Yes. What a lot of people don't know is um, obviously a writer uh, before he really made his big break uh, directing. And one of the things he had a story credit for, which I always thought was fascinating, was in 1968, he has a story credit for Once Upon a Time in the West, which is one of the most influential Westerns, you know, to come out. Um, but he hits the big screen with a film, a giallo, uh, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage in 1970, um, and then follows that up in 71 with The Cat and Nine Tails, uh, also follows that up with Four Flies on Gray Velvet. Um, that's like his animal trilogy, right? Is that yes. kind of? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Correct. Um, kind of takes a break from the giallo and does a film about the Italian revolution in 1973 called five days. Um, scores huge with another giallo in 1975 deep red. So he's, he's obviously got a string of hits, um, especially in the horror genre. And I have seen deep red. Profundo, profundo Rosso, I think, um, is the the Italian name then uh kind of comes I, I think he's known for this film I, I mean I know everybody equates you know Giallo with Argento Baba etc but I gotta say like most of the time when Argento's name comes up it comes up with this next film 1977 Suspiria mm -hmm. uh like and that is really what got him noticed by you know a studio like 20th Century Fox who ended up releasing it over here um, and they helped push him to do a follow-up to that, which, Brad, we know how you feel about this film, 1977 or 1980s Inferno, which was the uh, second <laughs> film to the to the Three Mothers trilogy. Yeah. Uh, you want to summarize your feelings on that one, or should we just? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not a fan. Not a fan. Of... I think that pretty much. But I gotta say, man, hearing you rant about was was a highlight of. Uh, yeah. Uh, for me, but before we go too deep, did anyone see the 2000? Was it 18 remake of Suspiria? Yes. No. Oh, okay. And I'm sure I'm sure you didn't like it, Troy, because it wasn't uh, close enough to the original, right? Um. Uh, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I don't know. So two things. So one. I walked in knowing that I had preconceived notions of I was not just going to really enjoy it because I was going to sit there and compare it to the original. 
Um, and, and I know that. And, and as a film, it is doing everything possible, even down to its color palette, to try and not be 77 Suspiria. I mean, it, it was going the opposite direction. Secondly, um, I, I rave all about the theaters in the Baltimore area in a theater um, which is kind of catty corner from my favorite theater in Baltimore, the Parkway, is the Charles Theater on Charles Street. It's a, It used to be an old train station that um, they converted into a movie house. And I've seen a lot of stuff there. And, I, and it's a great theater. But the one time I go, because it was the only place showing Suspiria, um, they couldn't get the lights to go down for the film. So they just showed the film with the theater lights on. Oh, God. So that annoyed the crap out of me. On top of the fact that I'm sitting there just tearing this thing apart because in doing the remake, it's trying to do something entirely different and just, I'm not saying that's bad. It just, Suspiria is so near and dear to my heart. That was hard to to take. I need to go back and watch it now. It's one of those films that I got over it. I got, I got rid of my hate. I'm just, hey, I don't want anybody to remake it. I am interested to go back. I, I bought it on Blu-ray. Um, and I, I want to sit down and watch it again and, and take it for what it is. But did not enjoy my my first theatrical viewing of it. And I saw it on opening night. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I like it. You do? <laughs> Figured. Yeah. No. Uh, well, okay. Well, that, that would be one to, to go back into. But again, I, I may like it on my second viewing, but my initial viewing. And you know, that makes sense, Brad. That makes sense that you would like the free Oh, my God. Um, okay. Does Suspiria in 77, Inferno in 80. Tenebrae comes out after Inferno. Now, what's interesting at this point is Suspiria is a huge hit, right? Falls it up with Inferno. And I think, Brad, everybody in the general population had the same reaction to Inferno that you did. And whatever. Because yeah. um, yep. it bombed. Um and I will say the one thing about Inferno that I love, God, that cover art is amazing. Like the stark black with like the skull. You yeah. Know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Looks amazing. Uh, everything else, not. But I do like <laughs> that that poster. I would love to debate that again with you because that movie's awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Tenebrae comes. So he returns to Giallo because. Um, I think everybody wanted him to make the third film in that trilogy of the witches. Uh, But, you know, Mother of Tears was supposed to be the next one. And he goes on hiatus uh, because, you know, Inferno was not well received. And comes out with Tenebrae, follows that up with Phenomenon. I think that, or Phenomena, that was also called Creepers. Yeah. I think in the U.S. with Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Um, Does... Opera in Opera. 1987. Have you guys seen that one? I've seen Opera, yeah. No. Okay. Um, Two Evil Eyes in 1990. And now I've got to ask. So he gets into the 90s. A lot of people think Tenebrae is um, really the last good Argento film. Like everything past that is just junk. Do you guys agree with that as we are going through this list? Or do you still think there's some good stuff there? Argento, like... Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees should stay in the eighties and that's it. Once they get to the nineties, it just doesn't work. Yeah. I, I, I'm not that harsh, but yeah, (laughs) there was, there's, yeah, there's, there's a definitely downhill slope. Um, 
with his movies going into the 90s. But I, I, th- I, I think, yeah, when you get into Two Evil Eyes, I liked it. Trauma, it, it's okay. Um, Stendhal Syndrome, it's oh. okay. Um, I, I, it's Phantom of the Opera in 98 where it just goes off the rails, man, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, I, I almost feel like he has three, I don't know what you would, you know, three work periods. Uh, for me, leading up to Tenebrae, that's his masterwork collection, right? Yeah. Then to your guys' point, I don't know if I'm as harsh as to say it just falls off the rails, but going all the way up into late 90s, I think he does some good work. I, I can defend, the, and there's stuff in there I like. But when you get to 98, 2001 Sleepless, 2004 Card Player, 2005 Do You Like Hitchcock, 2007 he, he finishes his trilogy with Mother of Tears, um, 2009 Giallo with Adrian Brody uh, is just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but he tops that ridiculousness with Dracula 3D in 2012. Hey, careful. That movie is god-awful. It, it, it's god-awful and bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't like the, the the Dracula praying mantis stuff. I didn't like the Dracula play, <laughs> praying mantis in the first fight. That was crazy. Okay, like I said, I it's bonkers. It's weird that like he shoots those so many nude scenes with his daughter. Like, yeah, that's yeah. that's a bit creeper there. Yeah, yeah. those those I call um, ear covering scenes. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, he he's a I, I I'll. I love him as a director, but I love him as a director because of the stuff that he did in the beginning. Um, and I think a lot of people, uh, like De Palma is a great example, I think was heavily influenced by Argento. Um, when we talk about Tenebrae... Uh, wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Are you going to sit here and tell me that you love Argento? Straight I, up. I love Argento. Okay. Yeah, straight up. Okay. Right, I just want to make sure. I want to make sure the audience heard that correctly. So, okay, keep going. <laughs> I love Argento. I, I do. I When I look at Bird with Crystal Plumage, um, Deep Red, Suspiria, Inferno, Tenebrae, even Opera, um, there, especially Deep Red, Suspiria, those two alone, Bird, I, it, those movies are so good. Um, I, he, I, I will say that I think Deep Red is watchable. It's watchable. Watchable. Yeah. That's wow. the best you can. Oh man, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> let's get into Tenebrae. So a little bit more before we get into thoughts of the film, because I, I, I've got some stuff for you, Brad. Yeah. Uh, there, this has a little bit of an interesting history. So after he makes Suspiria, he comes over to the states. Um, and I, I don't know if it's va- a work vacation or he's doing something for 20th Century Fox, but Tenebrae is actually inspired by a couple of incidents that happen. So um, he, at the time, is married to Daria Nicolodi. I think is how you say your last name. It's oh, Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But, and what's fun about these last names, I'm going to bur- butcher them, but if I sound like Mario, then, you know, or Wario, I'm going to go win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sell my butchering of these last names. Um, so they're in the U.S., and he has a fan who finds his phone number at the hotel, calls him up one night, says, hey, I'm a huge fan, loves Suspiria, and keeps calling him. And is calling him and calling him. And pretty soon, these phone calls turn to he starts threatening Argento. 
um, and says, you know, your, your work has pretty much polluted my mind and I'm going to kill you and all this other stuff. And everybody's like, dude, you got to get out of here. Um, so that is probably the major influence um, on him writing this film uh, because the movie is about a horror novelist um, who is starting to get, you know, uh, phone calls or fan mail from somebody who's going around and do, committing these murders. So the premise of Tenbury comes from something that happened to him in real life. The other thing um, that I guess was an inspiration is while he was over here, he saw a couple of incidents of what he would consider like senseless violence. So as Mindless an example, killings. yeah, a, a Japanese, random killings. yeah, random right. killings for no reason. Uh, so a Japanese, um, I think tourist or somebody was gunned down in a hotel lobby. Yep. And then uh, standing outside of a theater, somebody drove by and, and shot a bunch of people that yep. were waiting in line at the theater. And um, he, he had a quote that said, to kill for nothing, that is the true horror of today. Yep. When that gesture has no meaning whatsoever, it's completely repugnant. Um, and that's the sort of atmosphere I wanted to put across in Tenebrae. Yep. So, for those curious when those in, where those incidents happened, L.A. Yeah, in Los Angeles. I, he, he really, um, I, I don't know if he was scarred from his trip to L.A., but he just had this just walked away from that trip, um, obviously creating this film, but just had a very bad uh, sentiment about, you know, um, the violence and everything that was yeah. taking place over there. Now, wasn't it um, wasn't it also his first trip to the U.S.? Yes. So that, yeah, that, yeah, I can see how it get a play into his psyche. Yeah. And um, a, a couple of other things on this one, I, I thought you would like this. Uh, Christopher Walken was rumored to have been considered for the part of Peter Neal. Um, that is played originally by Anthony Franci Frank better, better movie. <laughs> better movie than Christopher Walken. Yes. Then Anthony, how, how do you say this guy? Franciosa, I don't know. Um, Tony. So Tony plays Peter Neal, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Christopher Walken was considered for this part. Um, Brad, I, I found this and I just had to share it with you. Quentin Tarantino. We know how much you love Quentin Tarantino. Has called the murder of Jane via Axe his favorite on-screen death scene of all time for its intense imagery. I was going to mention that because it is pretty awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we actually got a compliment from you on an Argento film only because Quentin Tarantino complimented it first. I'm going to put that another, out there. I've got another one, too. You have another one about Quentin Tarantino? No, I've got another compliment. Oh, wow. <laughs> Shoot. Man, Christmas came early. Yeah. Um, couple other things before we get into the cast that I thought was real interesting. So in 1983, when this was released, the VHS edition was released in the United Kingdom. Um, it was short by about four seconds uh, from the original cut. However, the film soon found itself included in a list of 39 so-called video nasties that were successfully prosecuted and banned from selling the UK video stores under the Video Recordings Act of 1984. The band lasted, I, I didn't know this, the band lasted until 1999. Whoa. So nobody could get this film from like 83 to 1999 in the UK from, you know, a video store. Um, and in 1999, Tenebrae was legally released on videotape with one second of footage removed in addition to the previous edits, right? And then in 2003, the BBFC reclassified the film and passed it without any cuts. So on home video, it really only had um, its original uh, print seen by everybody in 2003. And for any, I'm sure anybody who 
um, is is a film fan knows about the video nasties. I mean, you guys are familiar with that, right? Yeah. Have you yeah. have you looked at that list? Because I know at the peak of it, I think there were seventy two movies. Yes. So it's like things that you would know, like Faces of Death is on there, Cannibal Holocaust, Evil Dead, Evil Dead. Um, there's one on here that I thought was kind of funny, and I can't find it right. Oh, I, obviously I spit on your grave. But there's one on here that's really funny, and I can't find it, and I thought it was ridiculous that it was on the list, but. Yeah, it's there, there's actually a really good documentary out there, um, just video nasties, and it goes through you know um, the people who passed the law who were supporting it, um, and then the people who were prosecuted as a result of it. Because you you have to keep in mind, if you had a film that was on the video nasties and you were a video store video store owner in the '80s, um, if the police raided your place and they found one of these copies, you could go to jail. They would prosecute you. You'd lose everything. Um, so yeah, it's this was a video nasty, and um, its full cut has not been seen. Now, Brad, you said when it was released in the U.S., it was released as unsane, ten minutes removed. We'll talk about that. I I, I don't know if you guys, um, well, I know you, Brad, did not watch Unsane. You were lucky to get through this one. John, have you seen Unsane before? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. Okay, good. So we can talk about that. It's, I also it's saw that in some places it was also called Inferno. Like why? <laughs> What? Yeah. I guess we're rolling the dice on that one again. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, this is really Inferno. We didn't like it the first time, so let's try it again. Um, the cinematography was done by Luciano Tavoli. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is he was the one who shot Suspiria as well. So Suspiria has, you know, this fantastic color palette. And then you come to this film, which is just overly lit. It, it is very white. It's very stark. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, the cast, uh, we talked about Anthony Franciosa uh, plays Peter Neal, right? We just need uh, to talk about one person. <laughs> Giolano Gemma is Detective Germani. Um, this, I, I still get choked up over this one. John Saxon as yeah. Bulmer. We yeah. lost him this year. Um, Daria Nicolotti plays Anne. Now, she was married to Dario Gento from 1974 to 1985, so she's in a lot of films, obviously Deep Red. Uh, Christian Borromeo as Gianni. Veronica Lario as Jane McCarrow. John Steiner as Cristiano Berti. And Evan Robbins plays the girl on the beach. Um, I'm going to point this out only because everybody else points it out, and Argento says there is some meaning um, to casting this person specifically, but, um, Eva Robbins as the girl on the beach was born Roberto Coati. So, um, Eva is a transgender and that plays into the flashbacks, um, that, uh, the person who's committing the mer- uh, the murders, um, what significance it has. I don't know. I've, I've done a lot of reading on it. I don't necessarily get it, but every time you, you read something about Tenebri or something about this film, Everybody's got to point out the fact that that you know person is a transgender, um, and it adds some deeper psychological meaning to the flashbacks. So maybe you guys got it. I didn't. I'd be curious if a listener can point it out to me, or you know, show me some research uh, that might explain it. But um, music, Brad, what what do you think about the music? Okay, so I have three good things to say about this movie. Uh, oh, good. I love the music in this. I think it's pretty awesome. So. Um, Gosh, who did it? Um, oh, Goblin. Well, Goblin. Well, no, 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 no. Okay. It. How, how do I say this? It is Goblin, but it's not Goblin. So, 
by this time period, they were fighting all the time. So Goblin had disbanded, but for Tenebrae, he brought back um, Goblin, the major players. It's like seventy-five percent it. of Goblin, okay? Yes, it is. Um, okay. So they all they all get individual music credits: Claudio Simonetti, uh, Fabio Pig, Pignatelli. If I say it differently, like Massimo Morante. <laughs> when I do it like that, I can say it, but I don't. Yeah. I don't want to sound. Like cheesy, I don't want to talk like this. So, so make it easier on yourself and just say Goblin. Yeah, but it's it's all former members of Goblin, but technically it's not Goblin because they were all fighting. Um, but the sense the sense stuff is pretty awesome. Yeah, I love yes. it. I love it a lot. I've actually was listening to the soundtrack on what Spotify just because it's actually pretty good. Yeah. Oh my God, Brad, I'm I'm a little floored right now. I know. <laughs> okay, well, I, let's let's get into this thing. Um, now I know where I land on it. I got tons of praise about this film, but John Tenebrae. I mean, and uh, you've seen? Have you seen all of Argento's films, or like ninety percent of them? About eighty percent of them. Eighty percent of them. Yeah, okay, about eighty percent. So, what do you think about this one? I mean, it, everybody it's, says it's the last great Argento film. Um, it's one of the best giallos out there. I mean. Do you, where, where are your thoughts lying on this one? Yeah, I really like it. I, I It's one of my, uh, if not the favorite Argento film, uh, simply for the cinematography, the story. Yeah, I love the music. Um, huge bias towards Goblin, not the four <laughs> individuals. Um, but yeah, it was just a, it, it was just a great um, horror film, suspense. First time I saw the total uncut, uh, really had me guessing until I started cluing in on what Argento was, was showing us through the visuals. Um, uh, again, just for me, it was definitely better than his Dracula, uh, but <laughs> everything. <laughs> <is>. Yeah. <laughs> the can that of is sodas. the lowest bar of bars you could ever have. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just I, I just loved it. I, I loved it. I enjoy watching it uh, when it's available to me. Um, it, we watched it the other night, and I just still had that you know Cheshire cat grin on my face just watching it. Like, man, this is so awesome. Does it hold up today? I mean, the, the one thing I've always found with a lot of these type of films that come out, you know, um, Giallo is not. I don't know how best to describe this. You, you've got Hitchcock, right? Yeah. And then you have Friday the 13th. So I thought it was kind of funny, Brad. You, you're, you're saying Friday the 13th came out this time. This movie is kind of in the middle. It's not of the caliber that Hitchcock put out for like Psycho. It's not killing off a dead bunch of, you know, horny teenagers and stuff like Friday the 13th, the schlockness of it. It, it feels kind of in the middle somewhere. Um, do you, do you think it still hold, would hold up with today's audiences? This movie? Yeah. No, not a chance. <laughs> yeah. Not a chance. Are you serious? It's so like methodical and <clears throat> I know there's like some pretty high body count and stuff, but the stuff in between, it, it, it kind of slows down quite a bit. I feel like people would be bored out of their mind. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would have to agree with Brad. I think you and I talked, I think, I think what, most modern viewers, if they came to came to take a watch this, they, they wouldn't have the patience for it because it is kind of a cerebral film that you have to kind of take in everything that's going on. And I just don't think people have the patience anymore for it. You know, they, they're like, oh, this is horror. Scare me. Let me see somebody die. They don't get it quick enough in 
Tenebrae. Um, that's that's apparent and insane um, because they chopped the heck out of it to yeah. just get to. Well, it's weird. There's some amazing sequences, and we'll talk about the crane shot that everybody refers to. Um, and even um, when John Saxon is sitting out, you know, yep. in the open and watching everybody, that stuff gets chopped up to go right to the murders. Um, but even then, the murders are pulled back on its graphic, and, and then you go kind of to the next thing. It, it is a very bumpy ride when you sit down and watch an Unsane. Yeah. Um, I, Brad, but this was one, I thought this was interesting when I brought this up at last week's, you said a film, a film class you were taking, this was one of the ones that you had a chance to watch, but you didn't. Yeah. I was and and when I said that, I was trying to think what I picked instead and I could not figure out what I watched. Um, so I've been thinking about that and I can't, um, do you want me to give my, my go? Yeah. Go go for it, man. I'm ready. So I will say, I think this is one of his most, uh, Argento is one of his more approachable films. Um, Suspiria and Inferno have that uh, psychedelic feel to them. Um, lots of flashing red colors and blues. You know, it's so bold and weird that it's almost unapproachable for some people. Um, this one is a little bit more straightforward. Um, it's kind of a whodunit sort of deal. Which, you know, not bad. Um, turns out it's just a big, long episode of Scooby-Doo, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I will t- so I will tell you the moment that I knew this movie was not for me. And it doesn't When the take, credits started? When the can- guy is riding his bike <laughs> to the airport. Who does that? That's like in the first five minutes, man. Yeah. And so, you couldn't get past that. No, and then, and then of course he gets called up to the desk and he just drops his bag and just leaves it unattended. I'm like, come on, bro. You can't do that. Haven't you ever heard of nine 11? You can't just leave your bags unattended. Nine 11 hadn't happened yet. I, I know, <laughs> I know. But it's, yeah. you know, there's just these things that were very convenient uh, to set things in motion. Um, but again, I do think this is pretty approachable for Argento. Would you agree that it's, you know, it's a murder mystery. Um, again, there's some weird scenes that stand out. The beach stuff is weird and seems kind of like it doesn't even have a place in this movie. Um, I will tell you that I was thinking about, hey, maybe I will go and, and do a lot of research and figure out every meaning of this movie so I feel like I'm smart Um, And I didn't do that because I didn't want it to sway my opinion of the movie because I think um, knowing everything um, and and relying on other people to explain stuff to you kind of gives the director a little bit of a cop out. Um, I think if you just have these seemingly um, just random scenes thrown into a movie that don't seem to make sense and I don't understand it, I don't know if I should have to go out and figure out what's going on and, and why it's in the movie. Um, but then, you know, I, I will say this has one of the best shots I've ever seen in an entire movie. And it's that crane scene um, scaling up the building. Yeah. I think that is masterfully done. And it's almost to the point where you're like, do more of that stuff. Like this long cut up a building is, is beautiful. Um, I know people pretty much kind of point that out as being, the scene of the movie. And I think rightfully so. I think it's a beautiful scene. 
um, when I saw it happening and I was like, wow, like this is great, you know, cinematography. Um, I wish the whole rest of the movie kind of had this because then it goes into POV sometimes and it's, I feel like that's poorly done. Um, but then at the end, man, it gets me with that ax to the arm and she's <laughs> spraying blood all over the wall. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's pretty great. Um, but then you have the dumbest cop in the world make some stupid mistakes. It's just like, you know, every time you, it feels like I'm going to maybe dip my toe in the water just a little bit. Nine things happen that are so stupid. You're like, no, okay. I'm, I'm just going to go take my ball and go home. So again, in the grand scheme of Argento, this one is on the spectrum of, it's not as crazy as Spectrum or uh, Suspiria or Inferno or even something like Deep Red. I, I think this one is pretty. It's, I wouldn't say easier to watch. You know what I'm trying to say though? Like yeah. it's not as. It's accessible. Yeah, the the accessibility yeah. is pretty high. That 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 psychedelic stuff is gone, which I I think is welcome for me. So. Well, I have a question for you guys. Um, because was that as bad as you thought it was gonna? Did you think I was just gonna say, like, way worse than that? Uh, he was no, ex- he was I, expecting I mean, Hulk smash. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> exactly. I thought I thought you were gonna jump on a plane and like throat punch me or something <laughs> for like not another Argento. Yeah. No, I'm good. I'm I'm glad. I mean, um, I I guess I have a question for both of you guys. So I I kind of agree w- with everything you were saying up to a point like for somebody that's just dipping their toes into his filmography and you want to go the route and say what was a giallo what did argento put together i'm not saying this is his best giallo but i think it's his most accessible one for somebody who is coming to this for the first time um however my question for both of you is is tenebrae film noir and see, I thought about that too because we had talked about film noir what um, with uh, Nice Guys so yeah. a few weeks ago, um, and again, Finn Fatal's uh, Murder Mystery, um, lots of rain. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of getting there. Um, I, maybe it's not exactly film noir, but it's pretty close. Yeah, I. What are your thoughts on it, John? It has the elements of film noir, but the purposeful use of bright colors to me says it's not film noir. Well, the 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 title is Latin for what dark shadows, darkness. So there there is something at play there, right? You, the film is really concentrating on the darkness of like the human characters. Yeah. But it's like the most brightly lit film I've ever seen in my entire life. It yeah, is. And it, is. And, it sh- and it takes place in Rome, but there are no um, shots of what you would consider traditional touristy right. Rome either. And that's intentional. Yeah. Fun. Um, and are, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go. I was gonna say fun fact. Um, uh, John Carpenter in one of his interviews um, talked about uh, Tenebrae and, and Argento and Tenebrae or in Latin, tenebrae, uh, tenebrae was using the um, coloration method called ambition, where you could selectively um, apply colors to darken or brighten. And at the time when tenebrae was 
finished wrapping up its shooting, um, there were only two studios that could do ambition coloring, and one was in Rome. Oh. Yeah, and it's it's weird that he would bring the cinematographer for, for Suspiria. Yeah. And even that cinematographer has said it, it was such a hard and difficult movie to shoot because they had to, you know, really overlight every scene. Yeah. Um, and Argento has even said, you know, when he was making this film, it's supposed to be a futuristic thriller. Now, here's where you read some stuff and I go, well, I don't, I don't necessarily get this. He's saying it takes place in the future. The population is thinned out. It, the people that are left are just, you know, the, the rich folks. Um, something has happened, but we don't know what it is. Um, and I think he's been, you'll love this, Brad. He said, this isn't quite Blade Runner, but he was going for something. <laughs> that's, um, that's yes, that's a quite the yeah. understatement. But he was going for something that was to kind of put it in another place, another time kind of thing. Um, I don't know if he successfully makes that jump into like, hey, this is, you know, X amount of years in the future. I, but, I heard, I read somewhere where he was like, yeah, just imagine like there was an atomic bomb and yeah. X amount of years later, no one remembered. I'm like. Uh, I think people might remember yeah. that, you know, the world kind of ended and we're yeah. just kind of the last people left. Yeah. Um, but the film noir thing, I mean, it, it kind of stuck with me. And I don't know if it was because um, when we did The Nice Guys, I'd like dip my toes back into film noir because we were talking about our favorite film noir. So obviously we record that episode. And what do you got to go watch? You got to go watch some film noir. Um, and I've I've always heard people kind of throw it around. I even shared an article with you, Brad, that, you know, <clears throat> if you're looking for untraditional film noir recommendations this pops up in a lot of lists and thematically i think it it just hits all the check boxes um and what's interesting is there's a film from 1946 called black angel and i think this had some influence or argento um used some of this in tenebrae but that film in 1946 uh is about a man who tries to clear a murder suspect at the cost of learning that he himself is the killer. So that is, you know, a, a film noir that has been out there for a long time. It's considered very good. Um, and this one feels like it's very similar to that plot. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't, I don't know, maybe it's the way it's filmed, um, that there is no shadows, everything is overlit, it doesn't hit that traditional cinematography of film noir, but I think everything about it is film noir. Right. And that, Do you know for, who the director of Black Angel is, Troy? Who? Roy William Neal. So Peter Neal. Oh. Mm, there you go. Yeah. Well, and this movie throws everything out there in terms of influences with detectives, right? Mm. Dashiell Hammett. Um, well, I mean, he, he quotes Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I mean, um, Every they start talking about my favorite thing about this is uh, the detective that Peter Neal is working with um, to try and solve the murder. Here's a detective that reads all of the de detective books <laughs> and watches all the detective movies and can't ever figure out who the killer is. Right. Who's the worst detective ever he, of all time? Ever. <laughs> yeah, he, he is the. He can't figure out if a guy is dead or alive. <laughs> Yes, but he even admits, well, okay, he is the worst detective. A, he can't figure out who the killer is in all the detective literature, right? B, when they offer him a drink and they're going like, oh, you probably don't drink on the job. He's like, oh, no, I only drink on the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scotch. Yeah. yeah. Not like... Not like, you know, a beer. So like, give me straight up scotch. Yep. Yeah. And he's like, this is really good scotch as uh, he's interviewing <laughs> Peter Neal. 
Um, and then his his rapport with his partner is fantastic. I mean, um, I, I don't know. He's, he's a little bit comic relief, and he he is so yes. the bumbling detective. But I actually like that. Like he's one of my favorite characters because of all those flaws. And when you get to the end, Brad, when he's just being dumb, um, I'm kind of like, well, he is kind of dumb. <laughs> I yeah. mean, he's he he doesn't break character if you look at it from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. You're not buying it, are you? No, no you're like, no. Um, no, I, I, I think it, it wears its film noir on the sleeve. I like your comment, Brad, about um, you don't want to go out and do a lot of research on this thing. If you, you know, a director can cop out by just saying, hey, look, in order to understand my film, you have to go take in these other films or you go have to, you know, take in this other information about it before you can sit down and enjoy it. Like you have to do homework. That doesn't make a great film sometimes, but here's, here's where I disagree with you. I, I think it is a great film. I think it stands on its own without doing that research. I think it's all there. Um, and I also, so here's what I can't figure out. You guys say that in, in today, it wouldn't, it wouldn't play well. Like today's audience wouldn't do that, but is it because it's a slow burn? Is it convoluted? What is it about it? Because the things um, that I see that hit mainstream, like Netflix, what's the sequel to The Haunting of Hill Mouse? Uh, Bly Manor that just came out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But everybody talks about that series as it's a slow burn. It's a haunted house story. I haven't seen it, um, but. Apparently, you need a lot of patience to get through it and watch yeah, what's going on in the background. Your expectations for watching something at home and watching for something in a theater are two different right. things. Exactly. A Netflix run of shows, you're going to sit at home and, and watch it. And, and as long as it takes, if you have that much time, especially now, you'll sit through it. Um, I think film is different, especially um, horror. F- I mean, this is a horror movie. Yeah. Horror film now it's got to get going i mean what's the slowest horror movie you can think of the slowest horror movie yeah um shining's up there yeah yeah so does a i mean the shining didn't really work at the time i mean we've all kind of come back and said oh no the shining's brilliant but right um yeah no i agree with that i i i think I think people who rediscover this film would really enjoy it because it isn't your, I mean, what was, what did you take in this weekend? Conjuring the conjuring films? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the, the problem with a lot of, I, don't get me wrong. I love those films. They're great. But the problem with most horror films, it's, it's all the jump scares, right? So t- take for instance, let's get into this crane shot. So it's what three minutes. Mm-hmm. It starts with somebody looking out the window. It just goes from one side of the house over the roof to the other side of the house. It makes stops to kind of follow where the characters are going. You've got that fantastic music happening. Um, and it is an incredible buildup, um, really, to two murders that are happening back to back within that house. Um, and there's a couple of things going on there. Not only is there just fantastic cinematography. But the other thing is that when the person downstairs is complaining about the music and says, hey, can you turn that off? Then the person upstairs lifts the needle on the record and all of a sudden the music that's playing in the background stops. Um, and then all of a sudden when the murders happen, um, 
I, I there you get that other shot which shows up on the posters in the Blu-ray where her shirt is over her head and he cuts it and all of a sudden you see her face framed by the white shirt and then all of a sudden the blood splatter the vase breaks it's it's very artistic right um, and then you get this slow pan after that happens going down the stairway um, I think that I, I think you said it perfectly Brad I mean that, that whole sequence is just brilliant um, from any film any genre I think this film has a lot of that stuff has a fantastic buildup and then it's not a traditional jump scare that you find in today's films uh, and, and I think because of that uniqueness, people who discover this <coughs> would like it. Yeah. And we're also an hour and five minutes into this episode and we haven't talked about how every woman in this movie has to show her breasts at some point in time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe Italy at that time hadn't discovered bras. I yeah. have no clue. Nobody um, wears one in this film. Um <laughs> But I mean, that's that's Argento, uh, a bit of a creeper to some degree. Yeah. Um, Very. But still, it doesn't take away from it. I don't think. Unless, unless you think it does. No, it, I mean, yeah, kind of in a way, it's just weird that like, you know, she's just sitting there, literally soaking wet, and you're like, okay, like, to just get out of the shower or whatever, and then she's kind of half like trying to cover herself, and then it's just like, nah. No, and then all the women just like wear shirts with no bras and you know and then when they right before they die you know their boobs are out and stuff and it's like okay like i get what we're going for here but i don't know it it, it just feels i don't know pervy in a way for pervy's sake and you know some of the kills are really good but like you're kind of just i don't know using the titillation for an extra sort of thrill and i, I just don't know if i am on board for that that's interesting you say that. I mean, th this film, one of its bit biggest criticisms is the sexualization that occurs throughout the entire film. But that's also one of its themes. I mean, um, and, and John, I, I know you and I sat down and watched it this week together. Um, do, the, do these themes resonate, I, I guess? Because if you, if you look at it, obviously you've got the Freudian psychological transfer. Um, you got sexual deviancy, which comes up because that's one of the killer's motives, right? He's going yep. after people that specifically are promiscuous or have sexual deviancy. So, um, and that's the let's let's that's the film saying sexual deviancy. Like one of the big things is like the two women are lesbians and they get killed. Like the film is saying, or the killer is saying that. Not, I don't know if Argento is going after. No, Argento's. He's no, very. Uh, yeah. <laughs> progressive when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. Yes, he is. And and that's that's I mean, there's a great exchange. So keep in mind, Peter Neal is Argento. So because there's even when he lands and he gets interviewed by um the reporters and everything else, everybody is kind of going at him and just saying, What's with the misogyny? What's with, you know, why why do women have to die? What how why are you treating them like that? And, you know, that's basically all the questions that he gets as a filmmaker. And I think Argento, I mean, you know, take this line for what it is, but Argento has been out there and said, Hey, look, if given the choice of um, a victim has to be ugly or gorgeous, I'm going to choose gorgeous. Um, and he's not apologetic about that. No. But at the same time, I mean, he's trying to write this film with him um, taking on the central character. Right. 
And all the criticisms that they're lobbing at the Peter Neal character are all the criticisms that they lob at him as a director of horror films or giallos and specifically his brand of it. Um, and, you know, this film, another theme is just the whole brutal and stylized violence. Um, and it, I think this is interesting. The sinister, right? The sinister effects of that type of art on society. I, I really think that's what this movie's about. Um, it's really how is art damaging? Am I off? I, I yeah. I, I mean, taking the name of the film, Tenebrae, it, 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 its literal meaning is darkness. And I, I think what Argento was trying to show is um, within everyone, there can be a darkness that that they see something or experiencing something. And they just it just takes them to uh, an edge which they can't return. And, um, you know, yeah, from the crane shot and stuff. Uh, uh, the John Saxon scene, there's just a lot where if you take it and look at it like, you know what, that could be Baltimore and yeah, that could happen or what, you know, happened uh, to one of the characters they experienced and it drove over the edge. Like, yeah, I can, I can get it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all there. And I mean, it, it, it's not, again, folks, if you haven't seen this film, we may be spoiling some of it from this point on. So you can mark it at about an hour into the show or whatever. <laughs> um, from here on out, I mean, we'll talk heavy spoilers because I think in order to have a, a good discussion about this film, we have to talk about who the killers are because there's more than one. Um, and also how the final person dies. I mean, he dies because a piece of art falls on him and stabs him. Um, that's not like just random that's that's a statement so um what brad <laughs> i can i can see it <laughs> i can hear it i can feel it it's i just literally one of the most heavy-handed statements i've ever seen in my entire life the whole the, but the film has a lot of that there's dual like duality duality is in this thing all over the yep. down to there's two typewriters at one point because somebody brings him an extra typewriter yeah there's two murderers there's two murderers there's um uh, there's there's duality in the characters. I mean, at, at some point you have uh, Peter Neal and his assistant standing next to the detective and um, his assistant. Yep. I mean, everybody has a, a counterpart to it, right? So Peter Neal's counterpart is the detective, but Peter Neal's counterpart is also um, Bertie, who is, who is the original murderer, right? So the whole premise of this comes down is that uh, somebody is taking Peter Neal's work and is inspired by it and is saying, I'm going to go after all of the sexual deviancy. Um, if you go back and watch it again, they're having that conversation. And Peter Neal is basically saying, no, that's not what it's about at all. It's, I, I'm not saying that this person looks at these victims and says There's, they're deviant and therefore I'm going to kill them. He's like, the character in the novel is insane. Like, he, he, There's no rhyme or reason to it. But yet the reporter who ends up being the first murderer is like, oh, no, no. This guy is looking at these people, he's judging them, and because of how they live their lives, he's going to go out and murder. So therefore, when you're like, well, why is this girl running around acting like this, da da da, I, I, they're not deviants, but for, for their character um, and how they live their lives, this guy's watching it and says, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder him because I'm inspired by this, by this work, right? I mean, he's insane. Can I tell you what one of my notes said that we haven't mentioned just yet? Yeah. 
I have low grade Mark Hamill on here. <laughs> oh, it's the guy. It's the guy. Yes. Low yes. grade Mark Hamill. <laughs> low grade Mark Hamill. Okay. Is that the Christian Bur- Baronio yeah. Yeah, as a Gianni? Yeah. The assistant. Yes. Low grade Mark Hamill. <laughs> okay. There you go. Hey, uh, Joel, you be. Actually, so we've been doing this, what? This is episode. We didn't even say what episode 18. this was. We it's 18. 18. This is the most amount of notes I've ever taken doing a film. Holy cow, man. A lot of them were like low grade Mark Hamill. Yeah, question mark. <laughs> trying to entertain myself during the slow parts of this movie, but you know, whatever. So, um, uh, yeah, no, it's. I'm glad, man. I'm glad you at least embraced this one a little bit. I did, you know. I, look, this movie is a hundred and you know, it's an hour and forty five minutes. I'm not gonna go into a movie and give it time and not try to enjoy it to the most to the highest degree. Like I, I want to like something as much as possible. Um, if that means I have to go in and give it a critical eye, take notes and really try to focus and say, I'm going to give this a chance. Um, this one really fought me the whole way. Um, especially very beginning. Cause this is weird. Okay. Again, there's a weird cut when he's on the bike. So, and I watched it like three times. Cause I'm like, wait, did I miss something? He's riding a bike. A blue van is riding along with him. Because he's riding in the middle of the street. Pick a side. In New York. In New York. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's a van that's going up alongside him. Blue. Because he's wearing blue. The van's blue. I'm like, okay. So in- initially, I'm like, okay, this has to mean something because Argento is always about these colors. But uh, apparently, it's nothing. Um, but anyway. Like, it makes a cut. And then the van is literally gone. And it was like driving alongside him. And I'm like, okay. Here we go. Like, I'm already picking up these things. It's like, that was like a weird, awkward cut. And now here we are and he's at the airport and someone brings him a bag. And I'm like, why did he just go to the car? Why didn't he, just... the car is there. And his bag is there. Someone brought him a bag. Just write it. Ah, Troy, I'm it, sorry. It, no, it is. We, I, I fly a lot. Uh, obviously Never, for, for you work. Take a bike to the airport in New York. Oh, God, in Baltimore. Hell no. no. Yeah. <laughs> are you nuts? Yeah. So, anyway. um, but no, I I agree with you. I thinking like early eighties, it still freaks me out even today. I don't know if you guys, when you're watching films from like seventies, eighties, whatever, um, and somebody like that airport scene, they go, Here's my bag, I'm going to Rome, take care of it, I'll meet you there. That's not how it works today, right? Because <laughs> of all the security and stuff nah. like that. Uh oh, I'm in the airport. Let me put my bag here while I walk over here and go answer a phone. I mean, you don't do that today. Um, did they do it back in the eighties? I don't know. I was 10. I wasn't flying. Um, but I, they were smoking on airplanes and all this other stuff that obviously doesn't occur now. Uh, I, I think you have to take those things as they're, they're part of the time period. Um, but going back to your edit comment, is it fair to say that Tenebrae at its core is these amazing scenes and not just one or two. I, I think they're, you know, we haven't even talked about the John Saxon where he's sitting outside, he's waiting for Jane and he's watching these couples. And, and I think it's tense. Yeah. You, you, something's going to happen. There's a little bit of chaos in all these different pockets. And then next thing you know, spoiler, I mean, he gets stabbed. Um, but in the middle of broad daylight and there's hundreds of people around. Yeah. And, but again, that happens I today. Know. It I happens know. today. Um, but I, is it fair to say that you've got these just cinematic moments and these fantastic scenes all sprinkled throughout 
but the editing from one of these scenes to the next is where the choppiness comes in. Like they didn't have a good enough editor to bring those scenes together. Yeah. Cause then all of a sudden it'll switch to like POV and it's just jarring. Yeah. Like none of it like fits together. This is a puzzle for me that like is just scattered out everywhere and none of it goes together. It's like five different puzzles and I'm trying to put it together. Cause it just is not fitting together. Like even that John Saxon scene, I kind of think that's kind of boring and, Really? Kid with the ball comes up and it's like, it's just pretty mundane. And, and I think that's might be I think it's supposed too. to be that. Yeah. It's because like, oh, and then all of a sudden he gets stabbed and, you know, it's just random. And like, it's seemingly random. Um, obviously it's not, but, you know, it, it can just happen just like that. <clears throat> obviously there's supposed to be a point to that, but yeah, I, I was like, okay, come on, John, let's, let's do something here. <laughs> <laughs> I, do you, I mean, what's your take on that, John? I, I mean, my take is I, I appreciate what Argento was doing, the John Saxon scene. Um, it, it's, again, it's, as you said, a kid playing comes up. I mean, how many I've, – I've had it happen where kids playing around, um, you know, they don't mean it. But then all of a sudden you're like, hey, here you go, kid. And, you know, their parent or their big brother takes them away. You look over. Oh, there's an old couple. They're happy to see each other. Oh, look at those two assholes fighting um oh whatever oh geez there's another douche yelling at his girlfriend and you turn around all of a sudden wham i'm dead i think i think that's the point of that whole scene what our general was trying to say um was that everything that you can see that's normal there there is there is something always present that could instantaneously be abnormal yeah, Which, that darkness is always there. Yes, right? that darkness is, is always there. I mean, like you said, today's standards, I mean, we've all seen the news stories. I mean, you know, kid gets shot, kid gets stabbed, you know, random stabbing, daylight. I mean, it happens. And, you know, a lot of, you know, the basic question a lot of people is, well, how can they do that? That's the point. There's darkness within people. It is what is what drives those people to that point where they said, yep, I'm just going to go do it. Yeah, I I find this movie very rewatchable because of those moments. Um, like you said, John, I don't know how many times I've seen this. I mean, I remember catching it for the first time in its, I would say, uh, uncut form. I think, I can't remember the company who released it on Laserdisc. <laughs> I mean, no. if that dates. But um, seeing it and, again, loving Argento walking through this film, instantly going back and watching again because it is a murder mystery. Um, and I think it's a good one. I, oh. I I really like the whole idea of a author. Somebody is is committing murders based on what an author wrote and where art, um, you know, somebody's imitating the art yeah. in a very violent way. It asks all these questions. There's all that whole duality going on. Um, and there's these little scenes like when he's being interviewed by Bertie uh, before, you know, they go out and do um, the television interview. They have a very interesting conversation when they're talking about, you know, are, are you a strict Catholic? Yep, I'm a strict Catholic. And they start talking about deviancy within Catholicism. And uh, no, I didn't want my book to say that. And there's, there's all these great lines. Yeah. And even when they're interviewing Peter Neal and he says, hey, do you, do you go uh, interview the president of Smith & Wesson every yeah. time somebody, you know, 
shoots. I mean, that's Argento saying, why are you coming after me when I'm trying to make this art and try and tell, you know, a giallo yeah. in film version? Um, and so somebody says, well, your your art has this very bad negative influence on society. Yeah, into the point, like you said, they ask him, you know, and then he responds, wait, are you calling me a deviant? Yeah, yeah he takes offense <laughs> to it. And he's like, I'm just telling a story here. What? What? Yeah. I think there's a lot there's a lot here. Yeah. And I, I always enjoy unpacking it. And I feel like every time I watch it, I get a little something out of it. It is not your tradition. Like I said, the best way I could describe it is it's not Hitchcock psycho, you know, strangers on a train. It, it's not that caliber of it. It's not your Friday the 13th movies. It It is a traditional giallo. It has the the blood and gore that you might find in a slasher film. But I think it's got this film noir edge to it that elevates it among um, a lot of other giallos. And um, I, I think it works well in, in a, any kind of viewing um, back then, today, et cetera. And, and I'm, I'm glad that it can be there to be appreciated in its full form. Stay away from Unsane. Yeah. I mean, that, that version's horrible. Yeah. I mean, like I said, for, for today's audiences, if they can understand that, you know what, this, this movie is horrible, but it's also cerebral on so many, uh, so many levels, I, I think they might better appreciate it. Um, as they watch it and and try and fully understand what what Argento's putting out there, I mean, from like you said, red herrings, allegories back to you know Cannon Doyle. I mean, it's there. Um, I, it has all the elements that I enjoyed. I love the cinematography. I appreciate it even more so now, um, just watching it. And like you said, the crane and the jib going up. It it was beautiful and kind of wish horror movies. I think we like I told you, you know, for me, horror movies, it's like, you know, I, I want more than just, you know, blood and guts or gore or whatever. You know, give me a good, good, good background story to this whole thing, too. Yeah. Give me give me something you can debate. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying Argento's reasoning or even his responses in this film, if he's supposed to be Peter Neal, are correct. Um, but I think they bring up some good questions and they're, you know, hey, how how sinister can art be? Yeah. Um, I, I find that a very fascinating question. I love this story. And I will say, I have thought about this movie quite a bit after finishing it. Um, oh, there you go, Brad. You love this film. While he was drinking his scotch. No, no. <laughs> Do not say that I love this film. But you just I, said I you love this film. You're thinking about it all the time. Well, there's a lot to kind of unpack with this thing. Um, I was trying to, you know, kind of go back and with a lot of these murder mysteries, you kind of try to play out like, okay, when did the director want us to know when the killer was the killer? Where's the reveal? Where's the twist? All that stuff. And, you know, and I'm just going to say it like the point where him and low grade Mark Hamill go to that, <laughs> go to the house and, um, you know, he disappears and then he, he shows up the next scene and he's got a head wound right then and there. You're like, Oh, something's up with this guy. He, you don't just, off screen, you don't just get hurt and you don't show, you know, like there's something going on there. Um, and, you know, I've been, th I was just trying to think about, Oh, you know, was that, you know, I'm just trying to say like, there is a lot of stuff to unpack. Um, there are some mini twists in this film to kind of figure out um, who the killer is and, and there's false red herrings and things oh, yeah. like that. So again, I did not love this film. I don't want you to think that I love this film. There's I think just, you love this film, Brad. There's just a lot to think about. Yeah, that's why I say it's cerebral. I mean, because um, what was the scene before that? The the dog scene? 
Oh, the the Wonder Dog. Yeah, the puppy that, that from that dog had to be in the Remo Williams. I think too. so. Like that dog is the same dog in all crazy. of the '80s films oh, with yeah. the you know, but acrobatic Doberman. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if it, it's kind of cerebral, if you think about it, the dog chasing the girl. Um, what book was uh, Peter reading on the plane? Uh, Hound of Baskervilles. Hound of Baskervilles. So, yeah. so oh, dude, see, I didn't even. Yeah. Oh man. So you kind of awesome. pick up little clues that you know. He says, "Yeah, I'm kind of leading you along. I threw you the red herring with uh, he's on the plane. The girl's already murdered. Uh, okay, so it's not him. But then he starts throwing you uh, in lieu of a bone, a girl. Uh, you know, to the dogs. It, it, to me, I don't know how many people would watch that and go, oh, okay." But how does she get to that house, right? Like, yeah, okay, she just happens to get to that one particular house. Well, but that's so when does Peter Neal discover who the murderer is? Isn't the fact that she got dropped off at home, same neighborhood, because they're putting all the pieces together. Because the reason why him and low grade Mark Hamill show up to that house. Now you got me saying it, Brad. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> so it fits. It fits. It, you're right. Now, now I'm awesome. just every time I see him, it's low grade Mark Hamill. Um so one of the, one of the kind of reveals is um, the daughter of the landlord where he's staying gets dropped off, and because this dog starts chasing her again, it's a random incident, right? And she stumbles across the killer's house, finds all of these things, um, and she's being chased by the dog, and then the killer discovers her on the property and gets rid of her. Now he doesn't move the body; he just kills her, leaves her there. So that's one of the things where they're putting the pieces together and saying, wait a minute, um, this murder happened close to us and who lives in this area? Oh, you know what? This guy lives in this area. And so Peter Neal is putting things together at some point and there is going to be a point where he that just, you know, the, the switch goes off and he says, oh, I need to do X because I also want to take care of a couple of people. Um, and, and I, again, I like that twist. I, I like that story. And, and even now that I've watched, it, I don't know how many times, and I still know what's coming, that little thing about the hound about, I never put two and two together. I mean, you just saying that I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that, that's gotta be purposeful. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Cause yeah, it's a, it's, that's one of my critiques. It's one scene. I love, I love the whole scene and it's a lesson for people. Don't mess with dogs like that. Um, but it was just so drawn out. For a little bit um but yeah yeah i can't believe she climbed the fence and then jumped off the fence and landed in heels and was able to keep going i mean and then ran him i thought that was impressive too <laughs> dude there's so much heel fetish in this movie it is unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> well you know the flashbacks the flashbacks are weird like i said everybody and this is where i get a little lost is everybody says that the girl in the flashbacks because it's um transgender actually means something um, and you know, those are by the end of the film. And again, we warned you like 30 minutes ago, we, we were talking spoilers. So these are Peter Neal's flashbacks. And again, um, he's taking two peel, two pills. So there's the whole duality thing. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where he goes through a traumatic incident and is really struggling with these, not just the repression of those memories, but whatever wait, the wait, time, what, time out, time out. Those were Peter Neal's flashbacks. Is that the one they were alluding to in yeah. the movie? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did that help? <laughs> no, it doesn't help. Okay. It's... 
No, those are his flashbacks because okay. it, it's weird. It's um, he has this incident, and those are his flashbacks. And so obviously he has this like um, repressed trauma, and it's that in the he he murdered uh, that girl. Yeah. And as a result of that, because that's how the detective discovers it's him, is because they're saying, oh, Peter Neal, I think is New Hampshire's, you know, whatever the upper states, uh, was accused of this murder, but was never, you know, convicted of it Didn't at a younger age. Right. right. Yeah. So that's his repressed memory. But I think it's kind of full circle. It's he has this incident. He um, murders this woman, then writes you know, these horror film or horror novels, Tenebrae, he, he writes this one specifically, somebody comes along and starts copying Tenebrae. Then he discovers who the murderer is and then says, oh, well, if I kill the murderer, then I can kill some other people. Um, and, and again, continue with this desire or this thing that he's kind of unlocked within himself. And the movie actually starts with, I guess, a um, passage from the novel that is talking about somebody that as soon as they kind of discover um, the thrill of murder is going to, you know, continue with that. I mean, he's writing that in the book, but he's also talking about himself, which is foreshadowing to kind of the entire film, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the very first opening where they're burning pages in the fireplace and all the way to the end of the film, it, it kind of tells you what it's about. This this film has so much foreshadowing, and, it's, and if you go back and watch it again, it's telling you everything that's going to happen um, and again, if you know who the murderer, the first murderer is now, you go back and watch that exchange at the news station. It's right there. Like the whole film is right there. Yeah. I mean, for that. Damn it. Yeah. Troy. <laughs> what? It's too late. Am I going to have to go back and watch this again? Yes. Well, I, I look, I'm, I'm just happy you watched it one yeah. time. Okay. I, I consider that a win for the year. <laughs> if you want to go back and watch it again. I don't, but now you've got me kind of curious on some of the stuff that I kind of didn't put two and two together with. Um, That's the great thing about this film is that yeah. it, I, as many times as I've watched it, I'm always, I'm like John. John and I were sitting there watching this film. We're watching that, I think it's Synapse Blu-ray, which yep. is a fantastic transfer. That was great. Yeah, music's music's amazing coming out of it. Goblin and is it yeah, Goblin? No, it's, it's, it, no, it's not it's Goblin. Goblin. <laughs> it's the it's the guys from Goblin. Um, but I, I just I really enjoy it. And and again, you got to get past some of the. You, nobody wears a bra in this in this movie. It is little um, sexualized uh, in in that I think as you said the murders and stuff like that end up not little. Okay. It's not a little sexual. A lot. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I, I still think it's, I mean, it's a, it's a great whodunit. It's a good film noir. Yeah. It's a good giallo. It's a, it's a, it's our, one of Argento's best. Yeah. Cause it's a great thriller mystery because in the, at the beginning, Argento really throws those red herrings out and he really f can fool you. Um, yeah. When you start saying, well, Jesus, definitely not him. And then you, you know, you start going along for the ride, and then you finally start realizing who it really is, and you're like, uh, because every red herring is basically killed off in order. If you go back and rewatch it, that's true. And the girl gets her arm cut off with an axe and just sprays blood everywhere. Pretty awesome. Tarantino's favorite part. Yeah, you could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you I'm can't. Surprised it's not, I'm surprised it's not all the high heel stuff. It's actually a murder scene, so I'll take that. 
Well, that that scene screams Tarantino, in my opinion, too. Yeah, like that's straight up like Kill Bill stuff <laughs> right there. Yeah. No, I like I said, um, I, all I gotta say is, Brad, there, there's a reason why this was part of your syllabus or whatever w- for a film class. Um, I I do think, it, again, if you're going to do an Argento film and you want to talk just amazing cinematography um, and, and a really good giallo that's accessible for everybody, this is where you start. This movie, 100%. is and, and for anybody who has Shudder, which is the, the horror streaming service, it, it's on there right now. Full so like, uncut. So like many decisions I made in college, uh, I made the wrong one, apparently, Joey, is what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm not judging so, you. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, any other thoughts on this thing? I mean, I, I feel like I've dominated the discussion a little bit because no. this was my pick and I absolutely love it. I mean, I, I will say the most disturbing scene in that whole movie for me were the two guys uh, high-fiving after they played their video games. I'm like, what the hell just happened there? <laughs> oh, at the arcade? Yeah. <laughs> the arcade. That's they right. turn around and just, you know, bro five. And I'm like, what? was it a new high score or something? I've never seen that in all the days of my arcade day. I'm well, sure now we got to do it. I'm sure two bros have high fived at some point in time. But at the exact yeah. moment, I mean, uh, yeah. there was no multiplayer. <laughs> yeah. that's true you gonna rewatch it brad no i'm not ah dang it i thought we were almost there i do own it now oh you bought it oh yeah. my i'm so proud of you i like to make <laughs> memories man so I'm, that's know. awesome yeah i'm the same way well anything else any final thoughts on tenebrae oh no. gu- guess how many sittings it took me to get through this two Three. Three? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that might fell, be the problem, I fell, too. I fell asleep at the, oh, the second one. Oh, my God. So. I mean, well, let me, can I ask you that? So, I don't know how you can fall asleep during this film, but um, do, does, does that detract away from your appreciation? I always think of the quote from David Lynch, because I never understood why when they would release um, like DVDs and stuff with David Lynch, and he doesn't put chapters on there. Like most movies... You can jump to a scene. Because he's a pretentious asshole. <laughs> yes. But I think he makes a point that when you're watching a film, it, it's not like reading a book. I mean, there there is a visual experience. And, and going from the start to the finish in one setting, and given my age, I you know depending on how much soda I drink, I, I might have to pause. But <laughs> um, I'm not waiting an entire day to finish it. If I start a film, I got to finish right. it. Because I, I think there is something you lose when you walk away from it and come back the next day. So I got to ask Brad, could watching this over three different days may or sittings taken away from your experience? No, I, I mean, that's the only way I was kind of going to get through it is just because there's times when I'm almost getting ready to check out. And, and when I start feeling like it's losing me, I'm like, OK, I got to step away because then I'm just going to completely kind of not pay attention and not look at it with a critical eye. It might be because it's also, there's a lot going on, you know, like, um, straightforward movies say like, just cause we talked about it earlier, like nice guys, pretty straightforward. Oh yeah. And there's a lot going on, but not as not like this in, in here. I'm kind of juggling a lot of things in my head, trying to kind of put the pieces together. Um, you know, so that is 
right now how I, I kind of consume media is like when I have time, I've got to, you know, watch it for 40 minutes here and maybe another 40 minutes here and then finish it, you know, the last 20 minutes or so. I mean, sadly, that's just kind of how my life is right now. So <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, but, but no, do that. You, you might be right. Uh, you know, uh, I don't need an artist to tell me how to kind of consume their media. Um, you know, we don't, we don't hold anything else to that standard as in like, you're not supposed to read a book, start to finish in one sitting like video games. You're not, you know, most, most, if not all, well, I shouldn't say all, but 95% of video games, you don't beat in one sitting. Um, you know, movies are no different. I mean, if you feel like, stepping away because you need to because you're not fully invested then step away yeah take that lynch yeah <laughs> yeah man i'm brilliant look at me he's gonna send you a zodiac letter soon uh, yeah <laughs> let, let you get one of the creepy letters the murder letters as angel says well um i think it's time to ask the question so i'm gonna start with um our guest john um i argento uh, he's got a fantastic filmography, obviously, up to a certain period. Yep. Tenebrae kind of sits at the tail end of that. When it came out over in the U.S., totally bombed as Unsane, you know, did okay everywhere else. But I got to ask you for the purposes of our podcast, is Tenebrae a bomb? No, not a bomb. It's it's a, it's a beautiful, well-shot movie put together. The story is there. Yeah, the gore, the horror, the thrills, the cerebral moment it's the trying to for those film students who try to do horror we've all seen those films i understand why this would be in there because it it has us there it, it it it's from start to finish this is how you can do a movie and i i truly appreciate what argento uh, put forth in tenebrae and all its um hidden meanings and overt meanings i i just i just i really i really like the film well said, man. Oh, Brad, I am. I'm. Look, I'm on the edge of my seat right now. I can't. I don't know where this is going to land. You've surprised me all evening with some of your astute observations. Um, I can't believe you took so many notes on this thing. I tried. Um, Still doesn't mean it's not a bomb. But- <laughs> I'm holding out here. Okay, Brad. I got to ask: Is is Argento's Tenebrae? Is it a bomb? Yes, Troy, it's a bomb. Dang it, Brad. <laughs> I thought I had you. I, I thought will you say were going to give an Argento is, film a pass. It is leaps and bounds better than Inferno and Dracula 3D. It is uh, just so much better than those films. So I will say this is nowhere near his, his worst for me. I, I Again, like I said at the very beginning of this episode, the, his style of film is just not what I enjoy in movies. Um, it's not really my cup of tea. It's never going to be my cup of tea. I'm always going to try, um, especially for new things, but, um, it's just, I've never found anything of his that works for me. Um, and I've watched, I don't know, six or seven, eight of his films and, and none of them really click with me. Um, so yeah, sorry, Troy. Oh, man. I feel like the next one, we're gradually getting there. Inferno, that was not going to happen. This one, you're like, oh, maybe. Like, number three, if we end up doing one, I think it's going to get you there. You're going to give Argento a pass on something. Mm. That's what I'm hoping. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. And and I, I know where that side comes from because me sitting there talking about us and the potential of talking another Argento film, I see I see and hear the frown on your face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, so I think Deep Red is my favorite. This might be my second favorite. Oh, there's wow. Like a, there's a big fall off after Deep Red. So Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's it's pretty obvious for me. Tenebrae is not a bomb. Um, I find it to be one of his best ones. Um, you know, let, let's face it. Argento, <laughs> he's, he's one of those directors. I'm not going to sit there and just champion everything he does. And even some of his um, personal choices in life and in the work relationship with Asia and whoo, just some weird stuff. Yeah. But, you know, separate that and look at his early film career, you know, especially the stuff to the to the mid 80s. I really think he was one of the best um, directors, horror directors out there. And he was really pushing the boundaries. And it it's obvious that he influenced so many people. I mean, that that scene at the end where the cop bends over and then as soon as he does standing right behind him is Peter Neal. I mean, you'll see that in Brian De Palma's Raising Cain. So a lot of people are influenced by his work, especially the early stuff. I would like, you know, I'm going to go back and visit Suspiria again, but I would kind of like some folks to go back and redo other works of his and see what they come up with. I think someone can make this film way better. Uh, that could be, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what, the thing that I'm going like, to go back to this film to like David Fincher. And this is like an amazing movie. I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I'm curious because now the thing that's on my wish list that I'm going to go back and buy, cause I found out there was a Blu-ray of it is black angel, that film from 1946. Hmm. Um, because I, I, I'm now totally interested in that story and to find out how much of it, um, was kind of the inspiration for Argento and doing this one outside of those, you know, real life incidents, um, that he experienced. So, uh, it, it was another great watch. And every time I, I do watch this film, I'm always catching something new. So I, I am kicking myself for going back and watching insane again. Cause I'm like, man, uh, and you know, <laughs> what's funny is I, I have a mill Creek that I found a copy of it years ago for one of those 50 horror movies that Mill Creek puts out. Oh, yeah. So even the version of Unsane, it's dubbed and it's 4-3 cropped. And on those sets, Mill Creek would do a burn-in like in the right corner and Mill Creek would pop up every once in a while to let you know you're watching a Mill Creek DVD. So, um, Oh, gross. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I, I sat through that again just to kind of go, well, I can't, I remember them cutting it up pretty bad and I wanted a refresher on, on the scenes because I remember the crane shot getting cut up and, a bunch of other stuff, but uh, yeah, not doing that again. Yeah. You mentioned Unsane that the first time you were talking to me, I was like, wait, are you not talking about that 2018 iPhone movie, are you? Because that was god awful. <laughs> Which I think I have That's that Soderberg. one too. I like that movie. Did you? Yeah. Oh. I was like, Just I don't remember. For what it I, is. Yeah. yeah, I watched it. I don't remember much about it, so. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Brad, what's all the cool details and, and how do people... Do you not want to know um, what we're watching next week? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, it's your pick, right? It is my pick. Yeah, I am so, curious because we've we've done the goofy, cheesy horror film. Uh-huh. Now we've done um, – would this be a slasher? Well, I mean, Giallo is its own thing. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it kind of touches into to the murder mystery horror. Or you could say so, it's foreign horror. Foreign horror. Yeah, international horror. Cool, yeah. cool. Um, so where are we going next? What, what We're genre? going science fiction horror um, back to 1997 
Paul <laughs> W.S. Anderson's Event Horizon. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, I will tell you that I have probably seen this movie no less than 50 times. Um, this was a constant HBO movie for me. Um, I've probably only seen it all the way through, like once or twice maybe, but I've, it was one of those movies like, you know, Saturday afternoon and it's three forty-five, and you hit that guide button and you see four thirty event horizon. You're like, I am there. So, um, yeah, I, HBO loved event horizon. Um, got a Lawrence, a, a Larry Fishburne, a Sam Neill, another Neil. Oh man. So it's a, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting movie. Um, our buddy Charlie is coming on with us next week. Nice. To talk I wonder about. what imitation he's going to do this. That. <laughs> Nick Nolte was just that was a home run. Uh, yeah. So and also so for all of our social medias, um, Twitter not a bomb pod, um, not a bomb pod on Instagram. Um, we have Facebook page Troy that um, is getting some nice little traction. Um, Gmail is a not a bomb pod at gmail.com for suggestions. Also on our website, if you just hit the contact us button, you can send um, feedback there. If you're right there um, on our website. So it's easy. Try to make it easy. Um, yeah. Troy's, I'm curious. Troy sent Everybody choice sent me a real mean one the other day as a test. You told me to test it. I tested it. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I, hey, and if anybody uh, has not seen Tenebrae and goes out or, you know, isn't familiar with Argento, um, go watch it. Send us some feedback. Are you in Brad's camp or John and I, you know, the good guys, <laughs> um, and really like the film. But uh, I'm, I'm curious what everybody's exposure to it is and what their thoughts on it are. Um, I'm excited you picked Event Horizon because that – I'm I'm always really excited about movies that have a history behind the film. This one has quite the history, Yes. Troubled, yeah. troubled production history. So, yeah, and Scream Factory was supposed to release this big Blu-ray edition of it this month, and they pushed it back to January. Um, and I guess there was there a hundred and thirty-minute cut of this originally. Yes, yeah. So it's cut down to ninety-six minutes. Um, so almost forty minutes gone. Um, and you can tell this movie was cut up quite a bit. Um, so. This will be yeah. a great discussion, man. Yep, yep. Also on our website, Troy, is um, another show, Friends with Cinefits. They are also doing um, some horror this month. Um, Alex, Alex has did, done uh, Hereditary. Yep, Hereditary. And then he did The Birds with His Mother, which I... I which I'm in, the, I'm in the middle of listening to that episode. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So Genie, uh, Genie is awesome. Um, but yeah, listen to Alex... Uh, I, I find Alex to be extremely entertaining, but my favorite thing about Alex is all the movies that he's kind of discovering or exploring. So especially the Hitchcock one, um, him and his mom talking about their favorite Hitchcock films. Uh, it's a blast and, and he loves hereditary, uh, and him and his guest on that one, um, really did a deep dive, a lot of stuff I didn't even know about hereditary. So that was a really good episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So next week, event horizon. I'm excited. I'm so, and if anybody, it's still up, Brad, if anybody wants to go back and listen to more Argento goodness, <laughs> they can search out the um, movie matchup pretension edition when we do Inferno and uh how zoo. That's one of my favorite episodes of all time. Just, we put you through the ringer on that one, Brad. Yes, you did. <laughs> I'm still mad about that. I know. <laughs> 
Um, John, it was an absolute pleasure. I, I mean, I love talking movies in general. I'm glad you and I got to sit down and watch this oh, together. Yeah, it was a blast. Uh, uh, thank you, as always, for taking time out of your busy schedule and, and just dropping some knowledge on us, man. Just a little bit. And I am totally jealous you guys are doing Event Horizon. I'm in Brad's camp. That's one of my almost all-time favorites. It's I watch it every time it comes on. It's awesome. I love it. I haven't seen it in a long time. Oh. I, I can't even remember if I, I liked watched it, it twice this week already. Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I'm excited then to revisit yeah. it. I, now, oh, we'll get into it. I think you made that after Mortal Kombat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because there, there was a moment in time where Paul W.S. Anderson, you were like, this guy might be a pretty good director. <laughs> yeah. What's his next movie coming out? Monster Hunter? Based on the video game or Capcom's something. Capcom's Monster yeah. Hunter. Yep. With his, oh, that's good. With, with his wife. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be an awesome conversation next week. <laughs> well, listen, folks. Um, thanks for always um, downloading, listening to the episode. Uh, Brad and I would love to hear your thoughts on the film that we talk about. So go to the website notabombpodcast.com. Yes. And send us uh, any feedback. Tell us what you think about the movies. Uh, and I hope you're having an awesome morning or evening whenever you're listening to this. And uh, have a fantastic Spooktober. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Have a nice Thanks. day. Thanks. Take care.